When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. We can find instant satisfaction in almost anything these days. Sleepy? Instant coffee. Need to sell your car fast? Car sales? Instant offer. That's right. Sell your car the instant way. And get it done with Australia's most trusted site for cars. Behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you. Uh, Wednesday and uh, yeah, we're into uh, June. Uh, it's fantastic, isn't it? So uh, nearly halfway through the year, God, they fly. Especially when you get older, I promise you that. Although the older people will know that anyway. We have uh, an interesting show this morning, beginning with a chat to Craig McMillan, of course, former Black Cap. Uh, he is on the ground uh, in uh, England. In fact, he's uh, just across the road from Lords. Stays in a hotel there called the Danubius, uh, which the New Zealand cricket team stayed back in 1983. It was called the Westmoreland. It hasn't changed much apart from the name, to be fair. Uh, last time I was there anyway. Uh, so Craig McMillan is there and he's uh, had an eye on both camps. We'll talk to him uh, very shortly. Uh, just after 9.30, uh, talkback uh, time, we're going to focus on the cricket, please, uh, 0800 150811, Chemist Warehouse uh, v- uh, voucher up for 50 bucks, uh, really, <coughs> for you to take uh, for the weekend spending, uh, and our subject today will be the cricket, uh, predictions for the cricket, what do you think a final makeup of our 11 should be, uh, how do you think Baz is going to go, what kind of style of, of, of cricket do you expect that England will come at us with? Uh, and uh, really, uh, it is just so exciting, uh, first test match of an English series, particularly at the Hallowed. So uh, we'll look forward to you uh, ringing uh, just after 9.30, Cricket, the subject of the day. Although, got anything else on your mind, happy to hear it. Uh, we will have, uh, just after 10 o'clock, uh, a recorded interview with Brad Webb. Now, yesterday, uh, Logan Swinkles, our producer, went into the Chiefs' camp uh, with a, a view towards a big playoff match that they've got this weekend. So uh, we'll hear that interview. A panel just after 10.20, Alex Chapman and Brad Lewis uh, as uh, other panel this morning, and uh, we'll be talking on a number of subjects. and might even talk about uh, the cricket, the tennis going on at the moment. Uh, and also we've got uh, just uh, after 11 o'clock, we're making a bit of a change this morning. Uh, we've got a hot and cold for the month of May subject, and we're also going to have Stump Smithy just a little bit earlier than normal. So if you set your clock by that, uh, just uh, bear that in mind. That's more likely to be around about 11.15, 11.20. Uh, and then we've got Storm Purvis available to us just after 11.30 this morning. So really, really busy show. Twenty-four hours out from the first test uh, between the Black Caps and England at the very famous ground of the Lords, and uh, I've got FOMO. I'm missing out over there, but one person who is not is uh, Craig McMillan, Black Cap number two hundred and four, who's uh, on media duties over there. Of course, Craig played fifty-five tests, including nine against England, a couple at Lords as well, so he knows 
exactly what to expect there. Maka, good morning to you, New Zealand time. Good evening, uh, London time. Morning, Spilly. Now, look, uh, you're staying across the road, um, so you only have to walk to work, mate, which means you possibly have been to the ground to have a look at uh, either trainings or maybe the pitch. Tell us a wee bit about the setup at the moment. Yeah, very lucky to walk out the front door of the hotel and pretty much be in Lords. So um, it's a short walk to work. Um, I went and watched New Zealand train today, actually. Watched England train yesterday a little bit. Um, uh, the weather's been pretty average over the last two days. Typical London weather, there's been a mixture of sun, um, a fair bit of rain, a lot of showers come through, which actually interrupted New Zealand's training today at Lords. But um, pitch looks pretty green couple days out, but I'm sure that will um, perhaps colour off a little bit before the start on Thursday. So watch New Zealand train. They trained pretty well today before the rain hit. Um, and yeah, it's been an interesting couple of days. There's a real Kiwi connection, a Kiwi flavour to this test series, obviously with Baz McCullum being appointed England's head coach. So it's been, um, it's been a bit strange, really. So, with Brendan going into that role, of course, um, you, you're now uh, on the spot over there. You can probably get a bit of a vibe for that. Have you, have you sensed anything about uh, his his new role and how England have taken it? Well, there seems to be a fair bit of optimism around this English side, Smithy, which is fair to say hasn't really been around this England cricket team. They've won, what, one of the last 17 test matches. Um, the style of cricket they've played has been pretty dour over the last couple of years. So. Um, there hasn't been a lot to celebrate in terms of Red Bull cricket with England, but certainly the appointment of McCullum, um, I think, has brought about um, a degree of optimism um, and confidence within the side. Which you know, it's not often that New Zealand get into a Test series as favourites, but they have to be this series. They beat England last year, one uh, 0 with that win at Birmingham, Edge Baston. So um, England are ranked. Six, New Zealand three, so um, New Zealand will head into the series as favourites, which is unusual here in England. But um, this England side worries me. There's they're too good a side. There's too many world class players in that team for them to be down for too long. So um, I expect a competitive series, and I think it's going to be a cracker. You, you mentioned a green pitch a couple of days out. Would that concern um, those people that want to see the likes of Ajaz Patel on the side, or do you expect him to be in there? Yeah, look, it always tends to be a little bit green here at Lords on day one, but in England you need a spinner, and you'll know from your experience as well, Smithy, it's a little bit different to New Zealand. While we both countries tend to have greenish pitches, it does turn and um, dry out a lot quicker over here than what it does in New Zealand. So um, I expect Ajaz Patel to play. I think New Zealand need to play a spinner. He played, um, New Zealand played a spinner in both test matches last year. Um, Mitchell Santner played here at Lords last year. And then Ajaz Patel came in for that second test match and bowled beautifully, picked up three wickets and, and picked up Joe Root in that second innings, which was important. So I think he'll play. So New Zealand's balance is going to be interesting because Trent Bolt only arrived here in um, the UK yesterday. So Monday after, afternoon UK time from the IPL. So he just won't play this test match. He just won't have enough bowling under his belt in terms of Red Bull cricket to, to play this first test match. So New Zealand will make sure he gets a lot of work through the next week and he'll be fit and ready for that second test. So it means that Matt Henry, I think, is a like-for-like like in terms of a new ball bowler. He'll probably play, open the bowling with Tim Southey, and then it's a straight-out decision um, 
for New Zealand is who they go with. It's Wagner or Jameson, which will be an interesting call. Okay, so you're expecting, of course, uh, Nichols, uh, even though he's up and about and uh, training, not to be ready, and and that would be Mitchell at six, Blundell at seven. Uh, sorry, Mitchell at five, Blundell at six, and yep. De Gronholm at seven to, to for that all round role. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's how it will be. Henry Nichols um, came over with that calf injury. I saw him batting in the nets before New Zealand trained. Actually, he came across to the nets by himself and was in the nets a good 30 minutes or so, and looked pretty good, was using his feet. Um, but he unfortunately caught COVID on arrival over here and missed five days of treatment. Now, I think it's just going to miss, he's going to miss by a couple of days in terms of being ready and New Zealand taking a chance on him. So he'll continue to um, do some work in the background and, and he'll be fit and ready for that second test match. But unfortunately, I think he'll just miss out on this Lord's test. Mac, what do we know about England's top three? Uh, to me, that's been their issue. Um, the, the currency in, in cricket is runs. They just haven't got starts for uh, many of those test matches that you just mentioned that they lost. What about this uh, new look top three? Yeah, that's where they've had issues, haven't they? They've chopped and changed amongst their own. It's interesting that over the last two years, really, England have used 27 players in Red Bull cricket. New Zealand have used just 19. And to be fair to New Zealand, most of those have been through injuries or COVID or a number of different things, whereas England have just chopped and changed and been on the selection merry-go-round, but they really haven't got it right at the top of the order. Zach Crawley is an interesting one for me because he looks a good player, um, and he's shown glimpses of how good he can be um, at the top of the order. Um, so I expect him to come good at some stage. He looks a good player. Um, Ollie Pope um, has been pushed up to number three in the England side now. He's generally better than the middle order. Um, not only for England, but for Surrey as well, his county side. So that will be a challenge for him because, you know, Joe Root generally has played at number four for most of his test career, but in recent times, um, he got pushed up to number three because they were trying to find a stopgap, I think, in terms of um, some consistency in the top order. So Joe Root has moved back to number four, his more comfortable position probably, and Ollie Pope's going to bat at three. They've got a new guy in Lees at the top of the order who... Um, toured the West Indies but really didn't do much and I think will struggle against um, the opening attack that New Zealand are going to have in terms of Saudi um, and Henry probably in this test match are going to ask a lot of questions so I think both batting lineups, Smithy with perhaps a little bit of a green pitch for the first couple of days the Dukes ball and overhead conditions um, both batting lineups are going to be tested by both bowling attacks watch the class We, we didn't um, really get the performance or the preparation we wanted uh, in that last uh, county match, of course, uh, Mac, uh, we're rolled. So you don't want to go into a test match having a, a collective batting performance like that. But are, are you worried about that to a certain degree? And particularly, are you worried about the lack of red ball cricket for Kane Williamson? Yeah, good question. Not the ideal preparation in bowled out being 19 for 6 and then bowled out for 148. New Zealand has really missed out on a prime opportunity to spend some time at the crease and... and um, get some runs under the belt in that second innings um, and that loss to that county's 11. Um, I guess there's some question marks on Pritt, Conway and Williamson, two guys coming back from the IPL. Conway missed out in both innings in that match. Um, and Williamson just had the one bat but missed out. So it was obviously shorter runs in the IPL. So, yeah, there are some concerns there, I think, for the New Zealanders in terms of the output. Um, but I know that a lot of work would have gone in over these last couple of days um, New Zealand captain saw him in the net today 
and he looked in pretty good touch. Um, spent a fair bit of time on the net, so we'll just be grooving things again. But yeah, there, there's probably a couple of question marks. I guess the other um, question, Smithy, is who fills that number four slot with no Ross Taylor anymore? Who, mm. from all accounts, it sounds like it's going to be Devin Conway. Remembering that um, 12 months ago in this very test match at Lords, he opened the batting for New Zealand, scored 200 on debut. So. That's another selection um, that New Zealand are going to have to make, whether Conway opens or whether he bats at four. Uh, the other thing, Mac, is uh, we, we well re- re- uh, remember, it was a little while ago now, but uh, we lost our last test uh, here at home against South Africa. It was a pretty poor performance, and we also, of course, lost Bangladesh. Is there a slight worry there um, in terms of just our collective performance for you? Yeah, there is a little bit because it, it wasn't the greatest at home summers with, um, in terms of our test side. To lose those two test matches was disappointing. So, um, you know, we are reigning world test champions, but if we're going to get back to being close to that final and being able to defend that um, trophy, we're going to have to win pretty much every test match that we've got left to play in this cycle. So there is some pressure on this New Zealand side that they need to do that. But um, first and foremost... Um, they have to start well in this series. Nice to have a three-test match series as well, Smithy. Last mm. year, it was only two test matches. Um, and as you remember, there was a number of players that came in um, that weren't perhaps regulars within this New Zealand side and, and played pretty well. So nice to have three test matches and, and it's set up for a cracking series. A lot of talk about a style of cricket England will play. We know Ben Stokes is a bit of a roll-your-sleeves-up sort of a bloke, and we know Brendan McCullum is pretty much the same, roll-your-sleeves-up, and let's mm. take the challenge on head first. Is that the kind of cricket uh, you're expecting uh, this England side to play, or do you think they might have a slightly more conservative start? Yeah, it'll be an interesting one, because it's going to be hard for McCullum He's only been in the country five days. Uh, I talked to him the other day, and he's only been in the UK for five days. Um, I've watched, I've had two or three days training. So it's pretty hard to stamp your your mark on a side within that short space of time. But I think you're right. Stokes and McCullum are two peas of a pod, really, in terms of how they play. They both have those attacking tendencies, like to be aggressive, and will err on that positive approach. And, and the messaging from both those, um, guys will be very similar and it will drag the others along. So if the others have got any question mark on how they should play or how the team wants to play, then McCullum and Stokes, I'm sure, will spell that out very clearly, clearly that they want that to be on the positive approach. So um, I think it will be exciting, but I think it will also be measured and, and it needs to be in Test cricket. You can't just be um, all guns blazing in Test cricket. There's periods during a Test match where you actually have to suck it up um, and just absorb some pressure, whether it's a good bowling spell from a Broad or an Anderson or a Southie or a Henry. There's periods where you just have to um, bunker down and get through a bowling spell. So it'll be really interesting just to see how England do play, because, um, but McCullum will be very clear in the style that he wants the thing to start to play. Craig McMillan, uh, fantastic. Uh, really happy that you're over there. Jealous that I'm not. Um, I look forward to your work. Excuse me, Matt, and um, uh, I look forward to uh, this test match. I really have. It's been a date on the calendar for quite some time. I've had a ring around. So uh, enjoy, Lords, mate. I know you will um, in a non-cricketing capacity, just a commentary one and uh, the rest of the the tour as well. I hope to catch up with you a little bit later. Thank you. Yeah, look forward to it. Thanks, Malik.
Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, ship loads of vehicles coming in for Polaris, so uh, check out your dealer this weekend for your off-road Polaris vehicle, our side-by-side partner as uh, we work through uh, our morning show on uh, a daily basis from 9 to 12 before we hand over to Mark Stafford. Right, uh, what have we got uh, coming up later this morning? Uh, Of course, uh, we're talking netball around about 11.30. Producer Logan Swinkles um, made a call yesterday to uh, Brad Webber, of course, co-captain of the Chiefs. They've got uh, a really interesting game this weekend against the Waratahs. So let's uh, just see how that one uh, shapes up for them. Um, uh, they would be favourites, particularly in Hamilton, but you just never know. Uh, Waratahs have got capable of just providing something every now and then, aren't they? So uh, maybe that's uh, one of your subjects uh, that you might like to ring us on uh, after 9.30 as well, 0800 150811, Chemist Warehouse Voucher for $50 up for grabs. Uh, John from Christchurch won it yesterday, which is cool. Uh, who's going to win it today? And uh, the, the other subject, of course, or your, your predictions actually for uh, Super Rugby quarterfinals. But how about uh, your predictions for this uh, cricket test starting tomorrow night at the home of Cricket Lords? Uh, New Zealand against England. Uh, New Zealand, of course, coached by Gary Stead England. Yes, coached by Brendan McCullum, captained by Ben Stokes. Uh, Kane Williamson coming back into white, uh, Red Bull cricket. Didn't play um, really too much at home, did he? Uh, so Tom Latham did the job there. Uh, so uh, what about Kane Williamson after rest, recuperation and an IPL? Are you confident about his ability just to step up and, and uh, just play as if he hasn't been out of the scene for a while? So what are you looking like to, in terms of the cricket? Love to hear from you, uh, 0800 and we'd also uh, like to hear your, your uh, make-up of the side. Will Kyle Jamison uh, fit the bill for you or would you go with Neil Wagner? Uh, tried and true wags of course would you go for him so uh, some interesting things to talk about there uh, in terms of the tennis I can tell you at the moment uh, it's one set apiece it's like watching a final but it's not it's a quarter final it's uh, Djokovic and Nadal like watching a grand final packed house at Roland Garros uh, one set apiece there and uh, just uh, it threatens to go throughout the whole morning to be honest you can see five sets written all over this one, one of the absolute classics. Uh, a couple of texts uh, come in already and uh, a couple uh, left over from yesterday, I think, which are worth uh, repeating as well. Uh, we had a Mount Rushmore yesterday, of course, about uh, England and, and New Zealand test captains. Uh, and a lot of people came in uh, quite late, so we weren't able to uh, sort of include them in uh, what we read out. But uh, we had uh, one which said uh, Bevan Congdon, highlight being the first one over Australia, uh, and against Lancaster at Lancaster Park 1974 I was there I was there I wasn't there but I watched it on television and I will rem- very well remember Ken Wadsworth hitting uh, the ball through the covers for four to bring up victory uh, and Ian Redpath chasing the ball in, into the stand so uh, someone didn't run off at home with it Jeremy Coney is another one highlights winning at the Gabra and Test Series in England notably Trent Bridge 1986 uh, Stephen Fleming, highlights winning series in England 1999, but notably our best tactical captain ever. And yes, Kane Williamson, only New Zealand to be named in the ICC Test Team of the Decade and as captain uh, 2011 to 2020. Fantastic player, of course, as well. So, Carlos, you certainly did your homework there, and we thank you very much for that. Uh, hi, Smithy. I'm, uh, Craig says, I'm a Jamison fan. Would leave him in my team too, but uh, who to leave out? For me, it would be... Uh, De Grandholm, uh, as Mitchell can cover the all-rounder overs, but not sure Stead and Williamson will leave Colin out. 
Hope Patel plays, who would leave out? Uh, who would you leave out for, Jamison? Well, I, I, I'm averse to leave out Neil Wagner. I really am because I know what he's going to give you, and that's uh, 120% effort and heart. Uh, but I just look at in my history of going to Lords. I, I, it's an odd pitch, and it does favour people who bowl with bounce. Uh, and he's got plenty of bounce, Kyle Jamieson. If he was uh, the bowler that he was 12 months ago, um, he would be a shoo-in. He'd be one of the first picked. But no, no, uh, I, I just think, find it interesting uh, that he's fallen away so drastically, that form has fallen away so quickly. So will they have the confidence to play him? Personally, I'd take that risk. I would leave out uh, Colin de Gronholm and, and I'd just say we've got a couple of handy all-rounders. With Blundell batting at six, you've got a lot of trust there. Jameson can bat pretty well at seven. And, of course, you've got Mitchell at five with Nichols being out. So that would be my combination. Love to hear yours. Uh, Andrew Barry comes in for us uh, yesterday off Twitter. Uh, his New Zealand captains would be Fleming, Crow, Victorian, Williamson. His English captains would be Brearley. Yes, Mike Brearley. Graham Gooch, absolutely fine. Fine opening bats and wouldn't put him in the great captaincy bracket myself. Uh, Michael Vaughan and Michael Atherton. Two good uh, scholars of the game, and of course these days they are really, uh, really good commentators as well, good analysts. Uh, there's another person came in late yesterday and said, what about Bob Willis? Now, what a sad story that is. We lost Bob Willis to, uh, to cancer not that long ago, actually, in a couple of years, and uh, Bob Willis was one of those unusual players, a great thinker of the game, but as a quick bowler, he, he could not bat. Uh, he would be the first to admit that. Hated batting, wasn't a great uh, advocate of fielding either, but loved to bowl. He loved to think about cricket. He was a terrific commentator, and you could see then uh, with his theories on cricket why he was such a, an effective test cricket captain. Now, we don't see too many fast bowlers as being captains over the years. We've got one now with Pat Cummins, of course, who uh, captains Australia and has got a fine cricketing brain. But Bob Willis, very, very astute and a really good uh, suggestion as well as one of those English captains to look back on. Jeremy has said uh, Strauss, Fleming, Williamson, Brearley. Uh, I think that was pretty close to uh, what a few of us had. I had Howarth instead of Williamson, Jeff Howarth instead of Williamson, but I uh, had the other three. Uh, and uh, from a rugby point of view, I think as a forward pack, it could be with some old heads and fresh legs, but the line-out fell apart without Whitelock. I think start the old heads, bring the young ones on, or mix them in, Whitelock and Vai starting, Tupu Vai. Uh, I And Retallick did not look bad at all on the weekend, though. Not sure about Barrett's discipline. Maybe Lord. So Jeremy's had uh, a few interesting thoughts on that. It is 9.30 here on SENZ. Uh, Ottawa is uh, back in the studio, which is great to see. We'll have an update from here, and then we'll open the phone lines for you. 0800 150 811. Talkback Time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811. 9.33 here on SENZ and yes we had uh, a caller in just before who said uh, will we be doing a ball by ball commentary of the test match? Yes we will including Craig McMillan who you just uh, have heard from including Jeremy Coney. Uh, we'll have Adam Collins in the, in the mix and then Daniel Norcross uh, Nikesh Rugani uh, and yes, and, and Maka as well, and they'll be giving us ball by ball coverage here on SENZ of that whole test series. 
First test starting tomorrow night, then followed up by the second test at Trent Bridge in Nottingham, and the third test uh, is at uh, Leeds, at the Headingley Stadium in Leeds. Right, to uh, ask for your calls this morning on uh, cricket in particular, and Craig has come in from Tauranga. Good morning to you, Craig. Morning, Smithy. How you doing? Yeah, good mate. Um, you've had a, a, a decent old think about this, and uh, you've you've uh, come in with a, a test eleven. Tell us about it. Yeah, so um, you kind of run through my text that I sent yesterday and um, and resent today. But um, my, I think the top six kind of are a given: Latham, Young, Williamson, Conway, Mitchell, Blundell. Uh, I don't think there'll be any changes there, any surprises, unless Nickel plays, but we're assuming that Nickels doesn't. Um, also assuming Bolt doesn't, it's the makeup of the bowlers that's kind of interesting, really. So what I think Stead and Williamson will do uh, will be De Gronholm, Salvi, Henry, Wagner, Patel. Um, no room for Jameson. But that's what I initially thought, but after listening to you and uh, and other experts, um, you've got to find a place for Jameson. I'm, I'm a Jameson fan, so I would have him in, and I personally would leave out the Grandholm. I think Mitchell and the Grandholm, um, there's not room for both of them, so you have to rely on Mitchell to pick up those all-rounder overs. So that's what I would do. Um, I don't think you can leave Wagner out. I think he's just he's, he just gives that point of difference, you know, like he's just so much heart. Um, and I would never have left Patel out after he took those 10 wickets. We've run a New Zealand Black Caps team for years, um, always having a spinner. We had Victorian for years. We've always made room. So even in New Zealand conditions, I wouldn't have left Patel out. I don't think they will leave him out uh, over there. So, yeah, so for me, my 11, um, those those six that I said, uh, followed by Jameson, Salvi, Henry, Wagner, Patel, that's how I would select it. Um, but I just I just don't think they'll leave the Grandholm out, I think. Yeah, for some reason, I just think Stead and, and Williamson will, will want him in there somewhere. So it could be that, that Wagner's unlucky. Um, yeah, uh, that, that's, that's kind of my thoughts. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Now, you, this the Grandholm, um, Jameson spot is an interesting one for me. Um, I, I, I would like to see Wagner play as well because I know what Wagner will give you, and that is uh, an attitude, um, and he'll continue to go at the English players, and he could be a little bit awkward on the slope at Lords, uh, but uh, I, I also see a room for height, and I, I, I see a, a real space for Jamison of uh, 12 months ago when he, in English conditions, was outstanding. Remember his performance to win the World Test Championship uh, or part of that group, so... I mean, at that point, he was rated as one of the one of the biggest up and comers in world cricket. What has happened since then? I absolutely do not know. I don't see any vast changes in his his uh, action. I, I don't see too much uh, changes in anything else apart from the fact he's just not getting people out, and he's going for plenty of runs in the process. So that is a worry. But I'd, I'd gamble with him. I, I think I'd gamble with him, Craig. Um, and and, yep, I, and I, the fact that I'd gamble I with him. I don't think there's a lot of difference. I mean, De Gronholm is a fair batsman. We know that. But, you know, he's a, he's a hit or miss player. So what you've got to weigh up is Jamison's ability, uh, all-round ability with De Gronholm's all-round ability. Jamison, a good Jamison with the ball, to me, outweighs a good De Gronholm with the bat because you've got to get 20 wickets at the end of the day. So I would take a punt on that. Um, but I'm also with you that Gary Stead and uh, Tom Latham and Kane Williamson always uh, sort of err on the side of experience and past performance and guy the devil they know. So I, I tend to think that 
you're probably right there. I think you're right. Yeah, just one thing you said then about Jamison and, and what's changed with him. I think he came in, in, in such good form and took so many wickets so quickly. Um, there was only one way for him, which was, which was down, I guess. You know, like he, he just came in mm. so hot. Um, but that potential's still there. I, I, I definitely think he's, he's worth persisting with. Like you said, the height, um, gives you, gives you that difference and, and Wagner gives you that point of difference. So, um, for sure I'd have those guys. But yeah, well, let's see. Let's see what, uh, what Stead and, and the, the senior players decide and, and what they go on with. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised yep. if they're going home there. No, I wouldn't be either. Absolutely would not be. So uh, that was uh, Craig from Tauranga. Thanks, Craig, very much for your call this morning. Um, and Tony, Tony from Southland has joined us. Tony, good morning to you. Good morning, Smitty. Um, couple of yeah, points. Man. The Duke ball, the Duke ball that, um, that they're going to be playing with, is it, is it more renowned for swing or, or bounce? And especially at, at well, balls. Right, okay. Uh, the juke ball, first characteristic, it's, it feels, it's always the same, but it feels smaller in your hand. Um, and, and that is, okay. uh, so bowlers like that, so they can get the fingers across the seam and round the seam a little bit uh, more readily than they can uh, the uh, kookaburra ball. That's the first thing. It's darker in colour. And it, uh, uh, yep. because it's darker in colour, it does tend to do a little bit, it swings a lot more, particularly close to the bat or after the bat even when it's, it's not much good, it just becomes a nightmare for those behind the stumps. But it is, it is a more interesting and enjoyable ball to bowl with, not so much to bat against when it's doing things and playing its tricks. So that's point one. Uh, England will enjoy yep. having that in their hands more so than they did the Kookaburra in Australia. So when they play in Australia, when they play in the Ashes in Australia, they play with the Kookaburra. When they're playing in, in the UK, they play with the Duke, and obviously on the continent, the Duke as well. Um, that's that's absolutely that correct. Into, yep. That's... Yeah, that, that leads into, obviously, we've got to take 20 wickets to, to win the Test match. Because if you don't take 20 wickets, it's very hard to win. Um, mm. You've got to have a wicket-taking bowlers. Who do you believe would be the, the, the more um, proficient at taking those wickets, Gamerson or de Gronholm? With the Duke ball, well, Jameson, absolutely, Jameson. I mean, De Grandholm yeah. will do a filling role for you, and he might pick up uh, one or two wickets on the basis that you tend to relax more when when guys like De Grandholm come into the attack because they're only they're only part time bowlers as such. So you tend to your, mm. your mindset just even though it shouldn't, uh, it, it takes you just your concentrations, and that's when they that's when they cash in when you just switch off yep. a, 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 for a moment or two. So, But it, it, day in, day out, I mean, if you're looking to get people out, I mean, that's Jamison's job as such. The Grondheim's job is to be an all-rounder and contribute yep. part-time with both things. Jamison's job is to get people out. And up until uh, six to eight months ago, that is exactly what he was doing, Tony, and it, it's got me a little bit baffled. Yeah. I would play him. Yeah, I, yeah. I'd play him. Maybe the point of, the point of difference. Um, and, the, and the reason why I'd also like to see... Um, Wagner there is he's a match-winning bowler. If we have to bowl, especially him in, con- in conjunction with the spinner on the last day, if we're bowling on the last day, I think the batsmen, the top six, tend to pick themselves, given that we've lost uh, Nicholson. Uh, so that, that's my thought. Hey, uh, uh, Tony, I uh, appreciate it. Just while you're still on the line, I'll t- can tell you a little bit about uh, Neil Wagner. And Brendan McCullum, I, I worked with Brendan McCullum in the commentary box uh, as well uh, for a while there. And we were baffled at the uh, the inability of people uh, coming in and proficient batsmen coming into our country who could not handle Neil Wagner's approach. 
And that is the approach where you set uh, very much fields for short pitch bowling and you bang it in five or six out of six. And in the end, he usually wins those battles because people's patience wears out um, and and he he just, he wears them down. Now then, uh, I can, I will bet you right, bet you right here and now, um, McCullum will be expecting Wagner to play. Brennan McCullum will be strategizing along with Stokes and the batsman on just that, how not to get Wagner under your skin. And that'll be one of the things that Brennan McCullum can take initially in terms of tactics into this England spatting lineup. How to resist Neil Wagner, how to collect off him, how to be patient, how to play the waiting game, outlast him, which is not an easy thing yeah. to do. But, Tony, I'll bet my bottom dollar Brennan McCullum has already been in their ears about that because he knows it, he's studied it, and he's been baffled by it himself. He's captained it as well, is he not? Yeah, he's captained yeah, it as well. well. Yeah, and, and it becomes a battle of wits. The, the, the stubbornness of Wagner to say, I will give 110% every time I bowl in. Will you concentrate 110% every time I pitch it and my half of the pitch bounced at your chest? Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, if he bowls from the... I, I can tell you, if he bowls from the member stand end, he's got the slope in his favour. Um, and therefore, when he bowls short, the ball will tend to come back at right-handed batsmen just out of the normal angle. Doesn't have to do a lot off the oh, pitch; okay. it just will with that angle. So all of a sudden, it's starting to follow you as well, which makes it very, very awkward. Very awkward indeed. So, um, does not sound like fun yeah. at all. <laughs> no, it's not fun, uh, and he's he's quick enough when it hits you, it hurts. But um, here's the thing: uh, I, ta- tactically, I believe uh, Tony that Brennan McCullum will be looking very, very closely at Salvi and Wagner in particular, the experienced bowlers, the ones that he has captained, as you say. And he knows so well. Tony from Southland, thank you very much for your call. Have a great day. Zaid, uh, we'll just take a, a short call from you, Zaid, to finish things off. Uh, what's your opinion? Um, there's something that I would actually like them to, would like them to do, uh, not this test series, but um, Lockie Ferguson, how good would he be as a test player? Is it, just, is it too much strain on his back with his pace? Because he's someone for me that, could, that reminds me of like a Mitchell Stark. Imagine him coming in. Bowling 150k, like is that is that just not an option because of his um of his pace on his on his back and that is that why he can't play test matches? Yeah, well that's an interesting point you raise, Zaid. Actually, and uh, you know when you've got a they're very rare. Um, you know, 150 plus bowlers are very very rare. It's a very hard thing to coach speed like that. Uh, so he's yeah. got it. But they tried him, of course, in Perth when they thought it would be bouncy and quick, and he broke down after an hour and a bit, and that was the end of the penny section. He hasn't been in a Test match lineup since 2019. Why are they not trying to experiment with it again? Uh, maybe when they get back home this time in the summer, and um, with the, with the uh, bowling setup for New Zealand, um, we're obviously going to need a spinner for um, you know when it gets down to day five, day four. So that's definitely AJ Patel. And then Salvi, Jamison, Henry, and Wagner because there's no bolt. So that's those bowlers pick themselves pretty much anyway. Look, you've nailed it. You've absolutely nailed it. They will play a spinner's aid. Um, and uh, of course, um, I, I, the, as far as I'm concerned, um, they will, I think, when Salvi finishes, uh, when Bolt finishes, uh, Ferguson will be stronger. A stronger athlete, he'll know how to pace himself further through the system, and, and I think uh, that uh, Zade that you might see him have one more crack at Test cricket 
At the moment, though, Hopefully, why yeah. would he bother risking his body? Why would he bother risking his yeah. body when he's getting $2 million US for six or seven weeks every year anyway? I know which way I'd be going. Thanks so much for your calls this morning, folks. Absolutely brilliant on the cricket. Starts, of course, tomorrow night. Live coverage here on SENZ. On SENZ. 10 to 10 here on SENZ and a number of texts have come in particularly about the old cricket love to see those. Morena Smithy I'm pumped and very excited at the upcoming test series between Baz's inexperienced or experienced English side and inverted commas and our exciting young side especially after listening to Macca's take. Love to see Jamison terrorise their batsman. Can't wait. Hone, good morning to you Hone from a friend from Tokamaru Bay. Uh, morning, Smithy and team. Thanks very much uh, for the voucher yesterday, John. Yeah, he'll be looking at the cricket as well. Uh, hi, Smithy. We must play uh, Jameson over CDG uh, with the Lord's Hill, his height and his bounce. He must play. His bowling at his peak is a match winner. Cheers, Anthony. Tend to agree with you. Uh, maybe uh, the Lord's atmosphere, the importance of the occasion, will just spark something in the Kyle Jameson that we have been watching of late. We want the Cole Jameson, who was in England 12 months ago, at this very time, to be the one to bowl for us at Lords tomorrow. Uh, if he is, goodness knows what might happen. Uh, I'm sure England would be quite worried about his prospect at peak. Uh, and how come they never level out the ground at Lords? Never been how? Uh, how come there is a slope and uh, Mitchell is not a batter? Play Jameson. That's from Dean. Uh, look, uh, I, I'm, I'm glad they have never tinkered with uh, the idiosyncrasies that uh, Lords is. It's a special, special place, and the, and it is a factor. I mean, there's nothing in the in the the good book of cricket that said it has to be played on a perfectly flat surface. I mean, a number of those English cricket grounds have got idiosyncrasies. For a long, long time, there was a tree in the outfield at Canterbury and Kent, a tree, and they had uh, special rules about. When the ball hit the tree on the fall, etc., you had could have batsmen hiding behind uh, bowlers and fielders hiding behind the trunk. It was just, look, I mean, and it was a first-class cricket venue, uh, but that was the tree. Uh, Sussex has got a prodigious slope uh, down towards the ocean. Uh, they're just fantastic little elements that you get used to, and you can use them to your advantage if you're good enough as well. Nine fifty-three here on SENZ Multi very shortly. RS New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold it. Know when to fold it. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, yesterday we took the Red Sox. Great. They only lost 10-0 to the Orioles, so we were blasted out of the water on that one. That's just absolutely appalling. Won't even go any further on it. Uh, just uh, focus on today's one. Daria Katsina to beat uh, Kurda Matova uh, at $1.50. Daria Katsina to beat Kurda Matova at $1.50. Women's tennis. Rude. Rude. R-U-U-D. Rude to beat Rune. R-U-N-E, might be Rune actually, Rude to beat Rune, that's an interesting one, $1.45, that's a French men's tennis open as well, and I'm chucking in Toronto Blue Jays to beat the Chicago White Sox today, Toronto Blue Jays uh, to beat the Chicago White Sox in the MLB at $1.59, so uh, our total prize there would be $3.45. We'll be talking to uh, Louis Herman Watt, Pip Morris in the next hour as well. 
Um, and the panel uh, will be very interesting with uh, Alex Chapman, flatmate of you-know-who, and Brad Lewis. Uh, and we'll be talking on a number of issues, including uh, Super Rugby, cricket, the Warriors, the tennis, and some news just come through about the Christchurch Stadium, which we might advise you of. If you're a Christchurch person, you might want it to go on hold for a while. The bill has just started to go through the roof, and they've pushed out the expected uh, finishing date out to 2026. At best, at best. Talking to the best, here's Ottawa. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, and it is 10.03 here on SENZ. Just a tennis update um, as uh, we prepare for this next hour. 5-2 in the third set to Nadal. 5-2 in the third set uh, over Djokovic, one set apiece. So it looks like Nadal's on track to go two sets to one up. In fact, he's won it, 6-2. Just won that set in 39 minutes. Second set actually took 88 minutes, nearly an hour and a half. Incredible tennis there. Okay, right, let's get into Super Rugby, shall we, with a Vengeance. Uh, and yesterday, producer Logan Swinkles uh, went inside uh, the Chiefs camp and spoke to their co-captain and All Black, of course, Brad Webber. Chiefs halfback Brad Webber joins us now on SNZ Mornings. Hey, mate, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. No, no worries, Logan. Hey, uh, how's the neck been feeling since you've been back out on the park? That's sweet, yeah, um, a little bit nervy if it would happen again, but um, seems that the the injections that I got in have done the trick. So I ha- haven't had any issues with them since. So pretty happy about that. Yeah, I was reading about that. It sounds pretty gnarly. Some of those needles that you were getting, but you know, you're not one to shy away from a bit of contact and uh, run the ball. Has <laughs> it, has that neck injury kind of changed the way that you approach the game now? Um, no, nah, not really. Once I get out there, you kind of forget all that all that sort of stuff. You just get straight into um, into rugby mode. So, yeah, I, I don't mind mixing them with the big boys and trying to put a, put a shot on every now and then. I know I get bumped off probably half the time, but um, <laughs> well, I enjoy that side of ga- side of the game. So if I wasn't in- if I was going in a bit half-hearted, then I'd probably, I'd probably stop playing, to be honest. Yeah, that's fair. While uh, you were recovering, you know, the Chiefs had uh, Cortez Ratama and Xavier Rowe running out there in your absence. How do you think the two young halfbacks went? Yeah, I, I think both of them have huge futures in, at, at our club. I think, um, mate, they, they could both be all blacks here if, if they uh, if, if they want to be, if they put their minds to it. So, yeah, look, both um, obviously very young, um, still sort of gathering a bit of that experience. And um, I think in the future, they, once they round out their games, they're going to be special, special halfbacks. So it's, it's pretty cool to see those guys coming through. Um, and nipping at my heels a little bit, keeping me a bit honest, which is which is great. But you know they did they, they did a great job in my absence, and um, really excited to to see where they go in a, in a few years. Do you sort of provide, I guess, a bit of a mentor role in that capacity then within? Um, yeah, if if, if they um, if they want if they want it, I guess like you know I'm not <laughs> I don't want to try and force um, things down their throat. Like I want them to grow at, at their pace and. They'll come and ask questions, and we'll we'll discuss things um, where we see fit. But I mean, especially Cortez, he's probably a little bit of a different player to me, but more combative, um, but more like Tawera Kubalo. But um, mm-hmm. certainly around game management, 
stuff. Um, I'll certainly try and help help him out there because he's yeah, you know, he's twenty twenty one years old, so still got a bit of work to do and that sort of stuff. But his raw talent and ability is is, is as good as I've I've seen. Um, and then Xavier, he's a bit more like me. We we bounce a lot of ideas off each other, and um, he's he's a pretty level headed uh, guy for such a such a young halfback. So um, yeah, he, he's pretty sharp in terms of game management already. Speaking of, uh, you know, you mentioned them being potential future All Blacks. The, I mean, the halfback stocks around the country at the moment, they've been causing a lot of debate here around the uh, SCNZ office about who could be picked just for this season alone. Do you think the number seven jersey is in good hands there following the likes of, you know, yourself, TJ and uh, Aaron Smith in the future? Oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I've, I've had a, a lot to do with uh, pretty much all the halfbacks that are, that are coming through at the moment. So I've seen them firsthand. Uh, how, how they've developed, and um, yeah, look, no, it's no secret that um, you know we we can't be around forever, and um, I definitely think that the you know the young guys coming through are, are right up there, and um, you know I was looking there for a while, like they're you know outside of um, the top three, they might not have not be much below it, but but nowadays, like the last year, two years, guys have really stood up and put their hands up and put a lot of competition on. On everyone else, so it's great. I think it's uh, yeah that we've finally sort of found the next next uh, next crop. So post um, the World Cup next year, I think we'll be in very good hands. What about for yourself? Uh, you know, with the potential All Black selection coming around the corner, do you think about that with Ireland uh, around the corner? Uh, nah, no, I don't. I don't. I don't um, expend extra any extra energy on that whatsoever. Now I sort of learned my lesson a few years ago when. I was probably probably by this time of the year I'd sort of um, you know worry too much about what the All Black selectors are thinking, you know how I'm playing, and I would by the back end of um, the seasons from like 2016 to sort of 2018, I'd just start dropping off and playing like crap. So um, you know t- from 2019 onwards, I just sort of had the mindset there, like look, whatever they're going to select the team that they think's best. And I can't do anything about that. I can't do anything about how other guys are playing. So what's the point in putting any extra energy um, towards that sort of stuff? I'll just worry about me and worry about getting um, my Chiefs team um, prepared as best as possible and myself um, prepared as best as possible. And that sort of stuff can take care of itself. So, yeah, you won't you won't see me buying into, into any of that. Hundred <laughs> percent. Hey, uh, we saw some pretty incredible scenes there uh, in La Toca with uh, you know the Chiefs running out against the Drua last weekend. How was that experience for you? Oh, it was it was incredibly tough, mate. I won't lie. It was um, like going from Hamilton, where it was sort of five degrees, and then getting to uh, to Nandi and La Toca, where it was like twenty eight degrees and high humidity. It was just a tough, tough challenge to try and get used to. And that first half, like I. Oh, Never sort of felt as gassed as that. And probably since the last time we were in Fiji and in 2019 when we played the Crusaders, that was bloody tough as well. So, um, but I def- certainly had different uh, experience playing against the Fijians in Fiji. Like um, we've taken a couple of home games there in the past, and you know usually we've got the crowd behind us, but this time they were sc- uh, screaming for for the other teams. So that was definitely a bit of a change up, and you could see like what they can do with a bit of momentum and a, um, a bit of encouragement. They're, a tough team to stop and I just can't believe like their skill set and that sort of condition like the ball I'm not sure if you can tell on TV but the ball was seriously slippery because it was just everybody was just so sweaty so you just as soon as someone would carry the ball it would just be full of sweat and tough to pass and catch but they were like throwing outrageous off one-handed offloads and 
sketching with one hand, and I was sitting there going, "How the hell are these guys doing this?" So um, certainly entertaining, and but just yeah, incredibly relieved that we we got away with that one. Yeah, I mean, entertaining to watch back home. Trust me. Uh, would you like to see the Drua host more games in Fiji next season? Um, I'd like them to host um, yeah every game in Fiji except for the one against us. If they could just have <laughs> that somewhere else, that would be great. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I think I think it's a no brainer to have have it there. I think they, you'd see the um, the support they get is just you know it was sold out and they were all there an hour and a half before kickoff. Like you just don't get that in New Zealand or Australia. Like it's just a different different experience, and I think it justified their inclusion in, in the competition the way they played. There against both us and the Highlanders, like um, they push the Highlanders there as well. So um, yeah, I'd tell you, like that's just their first year, and they're already sort of you know pushing uh, us teams like that. They're going to be a pretty tough place, uh, tough place to go and play, especially for New Zealand teams going from the cold to to the heat like that. Yeah, I mean, um, speaking of that, you know, the inaugural campaigns have concluded now, both uh, Drua and uh, Moana Pacifica. What do you think their their inclusion has brought to Super Rugby? Definitely brought a new flavour, and I think, like, especially the... Um, well, it would have been great to see more games in Fiji for the Drua. Like, you sort of feel them playing in the Gold Coast or wherever they were playing, just, you know, they didn't have as much um, crowd there. Um, you know, who knows how good they could have gone if half their home games were in, or all their home games were in Fiji, you know, and then obviously Moana being able to tip up both the Hurricanes and the Brumbies um, with, uh, with their style of rugby was, was, was pretty cool. So oh, look, I, I think both their inclusions have been incredibly justified. Uh, Chiefs squeaked by 35-30 against the draw. I mean, and, you know, the sides had a few other close games against the likes of, you know, the Rebels and the Reds. Is there anything that you can put, like, your finger on as to why the Chiefs haven't been able to close out some of those games more convincingly? Oh, geez, look, I tell you what, um, if, if I did know the answer, Lose, I, I, to be honest, I probably wouldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, uh, I'd keep that one close to my chest because we'd hopefully um, turn that around this week against the Waratahs. But, yeah, it's certainly an, an, an area that we've been trying to figure out um, what's been sort of uh, going on there, and um, we're, we're working away here at, at Chiefs HQ to to make sure that we put a full 80-minute performance here because if we do, well, I, I, we wholeheartedly believe that we can win this competition. Um, and so, you know, that's the thing. Like, yeah, we haven't played to our potential, particularly in the last couple of months, yet we finished third. So, like, it's pretty good prospect for us if we can turn it on at the right time of the year um, that we could go the whole way. So we wholeheartedly believe that. Nice. Now, you got a couple of class number 10s there at the Chiefs with uh, Josh Ioane and Bryn Gatlin. You know, they both both play that position differently. So, for you, what's it like having them on your outside? No, it's great. Both of them, um, I, both of them are, are, are a pleasure to, you know, feed the seed to. And, um, uh, like, Josh, he's probably, you know, he's obviously a bit more, um, got a bit more speed in, in around his attacking threat, but and Brenner definitely is like a, a really good game driver and, and um, implementer of, of, of a game plan. So um, they both bring their different strengths um, to, to the first five role. And look, I've enjoyed working with both of them. Um, Joshy's obviously had a bit of a stop-start um, campaign, bit of injury, and then um, going down with a bit of sickness as well, um, which has obviously given Brenner a fair bit of run uh, in the 10 jersey. So it, it, it's, it's great to have two 
quality options. And I mean, even if you're sort of looking forward to to next year, adding Damien to the mix as well, um, we're pretty pretty blessed in the the first five department. Uh, what about looking at number eight? You know, Peter Gus Sobakuli has been awesome to watch this season as he uh, eats up those meters. How much pressure does he take off you with that kind of ball running and that go forward that he generates? Oh, mate, he's um, yeah, he's fantastic. He's, he's already put me away and in, in, in into a couple of holes already off the back of the scrum. So I'm, I'm pretty pretty grateful to have big pips uh, on my side. I would certainly not like to have to tackle him. I feel sorry for. Well, I don't, but you know. The, the opposition it must be tough for them having to tackle such a big powerful guy and um, now look he's been great he's he's so, he's been obviously with us for a few years and has never quite found the consistency in, in performance until this year he's just really um, applied himself and um, he's finally sort of getting the rewards for the hard work he's been putting in the last few years and incredibly liked um, and popular uh, man and amongst our group so we're all pretty pumped um, to see how his form's going and uh, hopefully you can keep that up in the next three weeks. Now, uh, this Saturday you're facing the Waratahs on your turf, uh, FMG Stadium, uh, in the quarters. How crucial is it having that home crowd support in a win-or-go-home situation like that? Oh, mate, it's huge. I think like we could we could tell uh, on on the weekend just how much a, a home, you know, some home support can can lift a team with the draw. So, um, and that for us is you know hearing the cowbells ringing at, at Waikato Stadium. It's uh, it's pretty uplifting, especially if. The game's close, and um, we're attacking a, an opposition line. You can you can certainly hear them, and it gives you uh, a little bit more bit more gas that you didn't think you had. So we're we're going to need them this weekend. Good Boratars side, and um, yeah, looking forward to getting back to being back home. Uh, last time you faced them, uh, you you were out. You weren't playing in that game. It was a bit of a blowout, fifty-one twenty-seven. What are you expecting from the Tars this time around? What's kind of been the focus this week for you guys? Well, that, like I know that. that Game was a little bit of a uh, blowout on the scoreline, but it was actually a lot closer than um, than that probably suggests. They had a, a couple of guys in the bin at one stage, which we which we took advantage of, and um, they came roaring back. I think it was quite close up until the last ten minutes when we might have scored a couple of tries. But um, yeah, look, they're they're, they're they're pretty pretty sharp. They're loose ball trio, are obviously um, really talented. Got um, with Michael Hooper there and. Um, Charlie Gamble's been a bit of a menace at the breakdown and mm. it's been a bit of an Achilles heel at times um, being able to get those good pilferers uh, off uh, out of our ruck. So we're going to have to make sure of that because defensively they are actually pretty sharp um, across the, uh, the statistics and we're going to have, uh, we've got a pretty good attack. So um, as long as we can get rid of uh, Michael Hooper and Charlie Gamble and the likes, then I, I think we uh, hopefully we'll have a good day. Uh, a couple more quick ones from me, Brad. I wouldn't be a good producer to Smithy if I didn't ask at least one Magpies question. Uh, how are you liking your chances <laughs> of uh, Hawks Bay defending the Ranfilly Shield this year? Oh, mate, I just lock it in. I might as well lock it in the cabinet right, right now. And and give us the, they might as well give us the championship trophy as well, premiership trophy. We're a good side. Look, a lot of those guys from last year are back, another year, another year older, another year wiser. Um, and we'll be certainly hurting after losing that semi-final. So I think, I think Hawks Bay's chances are pretty good, pretty uh, good. Yeah, I can picture Smithy right now with his fist up in the air, just everything you're saying, man. Uh, music to his ears. Now, away from the footy, you're a bit of a basketball fan yourself. NBA finals get underway uh, Friday, New Zealand time. Who's your pick out of uh, Boston and Golden State to win it? Ooh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a really interesting finals, I reckon. Um, 
I feel like everybody's sort of saying that the Warriors will win, but I'm going to pick Boston. I just think I think uh, the Warriors might struggle defensively against uh, the length of, of Boston. So, yeah, and Marcus Smart, Defensive Player of the Year, up against this, that'll be a bloody good matchup. So I'm really looking forward to it. And, um, yeah, look, I'm a mad uh, Atlanta Hawks fan, so I'm not really too worried uh, or has a... Has, um, you know, I'm not too worried about who wins per se, but I, I, I think Boston will do it. How about you? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, mate, I, I got to go Celtics as well, kind of against the underdog. I mean, Golden State, if, you know, mm. they've had their time, right? They've had their time. Yeah, exactly. Passing of the guard, Tatum, Brown, be nice. Yeah, 100%. Hey, Brad. I'd, I'd, like, to, I'd, like, to see, I'd like to see Al Horford win one too, actually. He's, he was at the Hawks for a long time. He's one of my favorite players while he was there. So it'd be good to see the old Batley get one. Nice. Hey, Brad, thanks so much for your time, man, talking to us on uh, SCNZ Mornings. Go well for the quarters. Oh, good. Thanks, Larry. Cheers, man. For making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. This morning's panel consists of uh, Alex Chapman and uh, Brad Lewis. Uh, Alex, if I can start with you this morning, uh, Super Rugby and Dane Coles wants the playoffs to be six teams with the top two teams getting a first round bye. A lot of people have said, how can you finish eighth in a, a, a competition with 12 teams and still ease your way into the playoffs? Has Dane Coles got a point, Alex? Yeah, morning, Smithy. Morning, Lewis. Yeah, he absolutely does, and I think the, the issue that a lot of people are taking up is that the Highlanders have progressed to the Super Rugby playoffs with just four wins, and that the Force potentially could have as well had uh, the Mats gone their way on Sunday afternoon. So, you know, the, the, the disparity between first and eighth, I think, is 23 points between the Blues and the Highlanders heading into Saturday's game at Eden Park, and that's, that's massive, man. That, that, that's four, uh, five wins plus potential bonus points in those wins. That's that's huge. So you could look at the Highlanders' record and say, yeah, they had a couple of close games. But I think if we look back to last week, there was criticism that the Blues fielded a, I guess we could call them a C team, against the Waratahs at Leichhardt Oval. And we potentially wouldn't have had that. Maybe a few players would have got left behind. But if, if you go to a top six format, then you give the Blues and the Crusaders this week off which means the likes of your big names, Bodenbera, RTS, whoever you want to say, with the Blues, potentially would have gone to Sydney last week. You would have had a better game against the Waratahs in terms of a spectacle and bigger names at the ground. And, yeah, I think it just makes sense, to be honest. Split it in half. Okay, good good thoughts. Good thoughts, Alex. Uh, Good morning to you, Brad. What do you think about the whole deal? I'd go one more and say... Um, replicate the NRL from the great eras of the 90s and the 80s and, and go for the top five. If you look at that now, it'll be the Blues, Crusaders, Chiefs, Brumbies and Hurricanes, who have been the five best teams this year. Um, the Waratahs would just miss out, as would the Reds, but I just, you know, you, you give the you give the, um, you give give the the top team the week off, and then the other four play. Um, it's just, it was, a, it was a really, really good system. It worked, um, and I know Back in the day when it went to the top eight, um, a lot of people criticised of that. And with 12 teams and eight of the teams getting into the playoffs, it's ridiculous. And I think even half the teams getting into the playoffs is a little bit silly as well. Um, I, I think top five would work great. It would, it would make for a more exciting playoff system. And it will really, 
it would it would make uh, you probably would have you know it would make a, a much bigger uh, thing of of finishing top of the table. So you get that week off, um, you can rest and um, watch the other teams play. I think four plays five with the um, uh, loser eliminated, and three plays two with the winner playing one the week after. So uh, that's how I that's how I do it. Brad, as it exists, we have to live with it this year. So uh, going into this weekend. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you see any? Do you see any upsets within those four groupings now? Um, as a uh, long-suffering Blues supporter, Smithy, uh, the Highlanders probably not the team I'd, I'd want to play. I'd rather be playing an Australian side, to be honest with you. Uh, so that that one banana skin game this week, the Highlanders only have to get up for that one game, right? Like they've had a pretty poor season. Um, they can really. Focus on on that one game. So so there's that game, and when you look at some of the Blues players, their top players having the week off, will they be a little bit light? I don't know. They're obviously well coached, but but that's probably the one game that I see. I think the Brumbies and the Hurricanes and the Hurricanes have a really good chance of of winning that one. So yeah, I, I, as a Blues supporter, that's just me being a pessimist. I would say that could be the banana skin game this week. Okay, Alex, what about you? I. Uh... Like you, Smithy, I enjoy a flutter, so I don't hate the um, nine and a half points being offered for the Waratahs against the Chiefs. Um, no Sam Kane potentially for the Chiefs. I, I think probably likely, though, all home teams win. Yeah, the Brumbies are on a three-game losing streak, but I can't see the Warat- uh, the Hurricanes getting up against them. The Waratahs are, are, are a tough team, let's be honest, and... Michael Hooper is playing, as we expect from him, some fantastic footy, and they're being led well around the park. So, um, And I'm yet to really be impressed by the Chiefs, to be honest, apart from one or two games. So, yeah, that that would be the couple. I'm, I'm actually really confident as a Blues fan, which I find absolutely terrifying. Like, I, I don't like how confident I am. It's like when I'm confident about the Black Caps. Really. I, I, I just feel so foreign as such a long-suffering fan that I, I'm not comfortable with, about it, but I'm not actually too worried. This is going to bite me back. I know. It's going to happen. Uh, well, I've got to say, they won, the, they won this comp basically last year, the Trans-Tasman one. They won that one. Uh, they're leading this year's version of it, uh, and they're good for it on, what, 12 in a row? We're looking for 12 in a row. Fantastic. I, I, I would have... Forever, uh, going back to the what the late eighties, nineties, when they had the great uh, side back in those days, uh, this is pretty good. This is pretty good, fellas. It's uh, ten thirty here on SENZ. We'll be back shortly with Alex Chapman and Brad Lewis. We've got cricket to talk about, Warriors to talk about, and how about a bit of vintage tennis? Nadal against Djokovic. Interesting at the moment. Ten thirty. Big talk, big opinions. The panel. Yes, it does. Live Test Cricket with us here on SENZ, and that's what I'd like to talk about now with uh, Alex Chapman and Brad Lewis. Uh, Alex, uh, we've uh, looked a lot about the combinations. Uh, I'll get your input on that as well. But the, also the problem they seem to have is that they, they're struggling to sell tickets. Normally it's a, it's a hot item, the Lord's Test match, but Michael Vaughan has slammed Lord's ad, uh, administration for astronomical prices. Uh, and I think, uh, Alex, we can relate to that. Did I see a hundred pounds for a ticket? Or at least, at least a hundred quid. Yeah, that's farcical, man. Like at a time when they, let's be honest, they aren't really attracting the public, and that's why they've created programs like the Hundred, um, and they're losing very badly and not playing enjoyable cricket. This is when you have to 
be capitalising or looking to capitalise on this new system that's coming through. You have a new captain, you have a new coach. This is when you should really be opening your doors and welcoming in and engaging with fans wherever possible and not making this farcical, inexpensive item. Because let's be honest, that's the exciting thing. Even as a Blackcaps fan, you look at this England team with Stokes in charge, with McCullum at the helm, knowing that Broad and Anderson are back, a couple of young players coming through, Potts looks fantastic, and, and you should be just saying, we're going to be playing fun, enjoyable, relatable cricket. And that's what Brendan McCullum was really about as Black Caps captain, was going back to that, waking up on a Saturday morning, opening your curtains and praying that it's not raining because you want to go and play the game you love. And that's what these players are about. They need to be relating back to the fans. And the only way of doing that is getting them into stadiums. Interesting. Uh Brad, uh, what, what's your feeling on that? I mean, uh, over there they say you can't afford to compare the pound to the New Zealand dollar. You wouldn't go out the front door if you if you live that way. So even if you live pound for dollar, hundred bucks for one day at the uh, cricket in New Zealand, hundred pounds in England. How do you feel about that? Got a couple of mates in the UK, Smithy, and um, they they were looking at tickets at around a hundred and sixty pound, uh, which is just ridiculous. I mean, we don't compare it, but that's about three hundred bucks, right? So uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't mm. pay that to go and watch um, the reincarnation of the nineteen ninety two uh, Young Guns, uh, you know. Despite the fact that you'd be part of that team, uh, but yeah, look, um, you know, Christopher Luxon's phrase, the old cost of living crisis, uh, that is. Without getting political, that's happening all around the world. I mean, you know, the new Australian Prime Minister won an election based off that. And to to have those sort of prices when it's not an Ashes test, let's be honest, it's, you know, yes, it's the world champions who are struggling in the Test World Championship and an England team that is completely rebuilt under a new coach. Um, it just it seems a little bit um, out of whack for me. Uh, 160 pound, no thanks. And as Chappie said, I wouldn't pay 100 pound. Like it just, um, yeah. I know it's the home of cricket. Uh, it's Queen's birthday weekend. They're doing some special stuff for that. But at the end of the day, it's a game of cricket, right? And it's um, it's a mm-hmm. test match. It's it's the it's the it's a new era of English cricket. They should be welcoming in fans with with cheapest chips tickets for me um, for this test match. Having said that, fellas, I wouldn't be surprised to see it sold out on the first two days. There you go. I've, I've seen a little bit of this before, and, and um, to be honest, it's it's very, very expensive to look at buying a Test match ticket. I think they only sell the four, first four days these days anyway and leave the fifth one hanging there. But um, I, I think the first two days, um, it's, if it's compelling cricket and England are doing well, you can expect the attendance to be pretty cool. Uh, I don't know about the Warriors, though. Um, the attendance of their games, um, particularly when they come home, is on the is on the line now because they need some performance. So, uh, Brad, I look at the the side, uh, the likely side this weekend: Wade Egan and Bailey Surinam back in the lineup. Rocco Berry starts at centre. Can they break that losing streak? It's four games now. Well, the fact is, until the names Josh Curran and Adam Fanua Blake get added to that forward pack, then I can't see them winning too many games of football, um, Smithy. Those two were influential in all of the Warriors' victories this season, uh, for the most part. Anyway, Josh Curran's been sorely missed. He's such a flexible player. He can play 80 minutes at any, you know, he's, um, Jazz Tavang is doing a great job, don't get me wrong, in his absence. But, um, Curran, Curran is a key part of that team. And look, Manly have been pretty awful by their, um, high standards this year as well. Um, but the Warriors just, you know, 
they've been in every game bar the Melbourne game, right, which they got absolutely played off the park. And even then, it was was pretty close at half time. They were they they were leading against the Dragons. They were leading against the Knights. They just seem to have second half blues, and I don't really know where you know what they can do to get over this. Um, you know, Nathan Brown sounds exactly the same every week. Oh, we've got three or four players that are sort of letting the team down, and it's a different three or four players every week. And I just don't know if he's inspiring this team. And it doesn't matter who we bring in. Rocco Berry's been very good this season, but is he going to make the difference? Probably not. Um, Manly's due a really good performance. They will be without um, Turbo Tom, but um, I think they pro- they'll probably have enough in the bank to get the job done. Um, I think good thing for the Warriors is that that game at Mount Smart in a couple of weeks is sold out, right? So we're pretty close to it anyway. So, um, but they might go to that game on the back of a seven or eight game losing streak, which would be disastrous. Mm. Yeah, they might be scalping them outside the front gate if that's the case. Uh, to be fair, Brad, Alex, what about you? Um, would you pay top dollar for a Warriors ticket? And what do you feel about this weekend? <laughs> uh, it's the hope that kills you. It, it's the hope that every season... And we're talking about being long-suffering Blues and Blackcaps fans. Gosh, it's it's torturous at times for the Warriors, isn't it? I, I suppose those players coming back is a boost, but... But to be honest, it's the first day of June. We're halfway through the season. I'm, I'm, I'm almost at the point of being ready for the Warriors to just wrap things up for the year. They're, they're not playing attractive footy. They're a mess off the field. It's it's just not enjoyable. And sport is supposed to be an escapism. And it's, it's not at the moment. Like You want to be escaping from the Warriors. You don't want to be escaping from life to watch the Warriors. I, I hope those returning players make a difference. And I'm clinging on to the fact that it is only manly, but man, they they just need to start winning. Mm, they do need to start winning. Here's one I, I and I've got to get you guys to think on your feet about this one because news has just come through this morning uh, that the Christchurch Stadium now they've pushed the likely uh, completion date out to 2026. Right, uh, that's a long way away. Um, they've also now announced, the developers have announced that the budget will now have to be increased by $150 million. Total price tag now, 6.73. 6.73. i got to ask you guys, uh, is this becoming less and less a viable prospect for the Canterbury people? I'll start with you, Alex. It's a joke. It's farcical. It's, um, you could probably use a lot of expletives to describe this, and I, it's not often I, I give a tip of a hat to the Cantabs, but the Cantabs do sport better than any other region in this country. And the fact that they don't have a world-class facility and a world-class stadium in their city or in their region is an absolute joke. They're robbing them of the chance to support their teams, for the chance for youngsters to get to see their heroes in action. And the stadium they've got at the moment, I, I've never been to, but speaking to some people that have been involved in the stadium, the likes of um, Brian Ashby, who Brad and I worked with for a, a long time, just calls it a, a cold concrete jungle. And that that doesn't sound enjoyable. Like It's kind of funny going to some stadiums when they're not that great, but you don't want to be going there every week or every two weeks like Cantabs have, have had to for years. So this is, yeah, it's, it's poor. It's really, really poor, and I feel for them. And I never thought I'd say that, feel for the Cantabs. <laughs> uh, Brad, honestly, yeah, it is, it's not the ideal, to be perfectly honest mm-hmm. But I don't think for one one minute that they, the Canterbury administrators of rugby, etc. down there Thought that they'd still be playing in it in 2026 It wasn't built for that period of time 
No, and and look, Chappie hit the nail on the head. I mean, they've, they've got a great cricket venue right at the moment in Hagley Park, um, but they need, you know, for for having you know the arguably the best club rugby side in the world, the All Blacks. Uh, you know, they need to have. Um, a great facility to deserve it. I'm like Chappie, you know, never much to give credit to the Cantabs, having been stuck in newsrooms with a whole bunch of sycophants in my life. But, uh, uh, yeah, they, they deserve a great stadium um, for, for their fantastic rugby team. And they are the best supporters in the country. Uh, at the end of the day, they stick through that team through thick and thin. I know they've had some great times uh, in the last sort of 15 years, but even if they were only winning six or seven games a season, you'd still get... Um, a packed house there every week and um, something needs to be done about this I don't know how it's going to be done I don't know who can step in to to make a change but they need a world-class stadium that deserve it and you know we're talking about this now we're still probably looking at five to ten years before it's even close to being built you know so like that's a that's almost a 15 20 year turnaround from the earthquake which is ridiculous ridiculous yeah, absolutely is. Uh, just uh, quickly finish on the tennis. Natal Djokovic, fellas, it's, uh, it's Djokovic serving for the fourth set, so that'll be two sets apiece, uh, looking like that'll be the case. Um, does the French Open grab you? I mean, this is, uh, what, a quarterfinal round, Djokovic and Nadal. Is it, does it grab you? The, uh, I'll start with you, Brad. Does, it, does the French Open grab you? This game has because it's the two, you know, outside of fear of the two greatest players of the last 20 years. So I've been watching this uh, all morning. Uh, big Rafa fan, always have been. So hoping he gets the job done. Just, I don't know, man. I don't know about you guys, but there's just something about Novak I've never been able to sort of like, you know, like just the way he goes about it himself. It's, it's not an, the anti-vax thing or anything like that. It's just the way that he goes about himself, always sort of feigns injury in the middle of games when he's struggling. And it's never been a fan. But look, um, before today, I hadn't been interested in the French open at all and i only knew that these i work in a sports newsroom or a newsroom and i I only knew that these guys were playing uh sort of 24 hours ago that they were destined to sort of meet so um i've been watching this this morning um but to be honest with you i haven't really been grabbed by the french open at all uh don't know why just uh yeah just wimbledon i'll watch for sure when when that's on but the french open's not for me yeah, one of it's the clay surface, Alex. I, I'm a little bit the same, I've got to be honest, but uh, I'm also very glued to this one. So what's your feelings on it? Uh, agree with Brad about Novak, uh, and I've actually heard Lewis say a lot stronger thoughts. That was very reserved for you, my friend. Well done there. Um, <laughs> I think as, as Kiwis, we're always going to be more drawn to the Australian Open more than anything because it's that whole... Um, you know, it gets to nine o'clock at night, and you had a couple of beers in the middle of summer, and you've still got the windows and doors open. Whereas the French Open doesn't have the best timings, uh, but it is great being able to what are we quarter to eleven and, and be watching tennis and two of as Brazilians, two of the absolute greats. And I just hope Rafa can come out and blitz him in the fifth set here. I enjoy it. I, I, I always enjoy all of the the, the Grand Slams. Alex Chapman there and Brad Lewis, they have been the panel this morning. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for your considered thoughts on those various issues that we uh, had a look at this morning. We'll have another one at the same time tomorrow morning, folks, with two new panellists. It's 10.44. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 10.49, Brad has come in with his uh, lineup for New Zealand in this uh, first Test match starting tomorrow night, our time. Latham, Young, Williamson, Conway, Mitchell, 
Interesting there. De Grandholm at six ahead of Blundell. Uh, Salvi, Henry, Wagner, Patel. So there you go. Henry in for Bolt. Uh, Wagner in instead of Jameson. Uh, that's uh, the way it looks there. I understand you need to take 20 wickets to win a test, says Brad, but you also need runs on the board in order to attack and take those 20 wickets. Hence why I've gone for both Mitchell and De Grandhomme. Uh, both can bowl some niggly overs if needed, especially with De Grandhomme's ability to get movement with the ball. Actually, Gone to Gronholm, if I remember back to 2019, was probably our most effective bowler in that World Cup final. He just found an awkward link, which you can do at Lords, uh, depending on the pitch, but you can do that, and it can just do some funny things, and it doesn't have to be quick, and De Gronholm is not that. So uh, thanks very much, Brad, for that. Having quarter, semi, and final replicates uh, the Rugby World Cup, says Chris, we need to have that experience. Blues are fantastic, but lose your quarter final, and you are gone. Simple as that. Uh, another text has come in, Smithy. Why is the talk of Jamison or Wagner? I'd have Colin de Gronholm, Jamison, Wagner, Saudi, and Patel as my bowling lineup. Yeah, well, there's a possibility that will happen. Absolutely. But it, uh, I think it's, uh, I don't know if it's a Canterbury connection, but they love um, they love Matt Henry. Uh, I don't mind Matt Henry with a new ball. I don't mind Matt Henry early in his spell. Um, but I just wonder about Matt Henry coming back later in the day and uh, whether he is as effective as that. Second new ball bowler. Don't know uh, about Matt Henry. There's always been a bit of question mark there, and that's why he's never quite been a front liner. He's always sort of the first guy you go to, next cab off the rank sort of a guy. So, yeah, uh, we'll um, continue to take your texts on that. Double eight, double three. Very interesting. Um, and someone says, why don't Bolt play if he's uh, if he's fit and ready to go? Don't think he is. And the other thing is, uh, he's been bowling four overs a match for so long now. Uh, the fact of him trying to get through twenty overs on the first day. Might just break them. That's why. 10.52. Side by side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. <laughs> Louis Herman Watt with us as usual. Cambridge Syndicate today, Louis. Eight races beginning just uh, five minutes before midday. Just, uh, what, about an hour's time. Yeah, that's right, Smithy. Um, we're in t- right into synthetic season, aren't we? Uh, so 50, so just under an hour's time, we'll, we'll get into it. And race one's quite an interesting race, actually, because you've got Karuba Jack at the top of the book, who has one fresh up and one on the course before, so... Um, that ticks some boxes, but the wide draw is a bit niggly. You've got Western Springs, who run in, ran in the Karakamillion behind um, on the bubbles and is a big Lonro gelding now. Um, now, he's kind of been away off the scene for a while. Been waiting for him to pop back up. And interesting that they're running him on the synthetic. So either they need the run to get into him or they think he can go well. And Cathay Empress down there. Ben Foote's team as head for 2020 is flying. I would watch anything that Ben Foote is taking to the races at the moment very carefully. And race four, Precious Colours. I think... Well, I just lost uh, Louis Herman Watt at this point. Uh, so we'd better pop across to uh, Pip Morris at the TAB. Pip Palmerston North, which means you're going to be a busy girl today. 11 races beginning just after midday. Morning, Smithy. I certainly am. Nothing really standing out on the cards, to be honest. I've gone with my best bet in race number six, the one Roseworthy, but 
I do think it's a day where the two favourites are going to be fighting out many of those meetings as we look forward to the Silver Collar. And of course the Waterloo Cup, the heats all throughout the week as well. So do check out the fixed odds options that are available around that. And on the small, uh, sports side of things, Smitty, as well, it's pretty open as far as the French Open goes head-to-head betting in most of the matches. Apart from the 90% of the bets on Koto just to win her match against uh, Trevazan there, and uh, also there's been a $5,000 bet on Djokovic to win the fourth set at $1.07 against Nadal. And just quickly on the basketball championship, the Golden State Warriors to win the championship overall, Smitty, there's been 34000 on them at $1.60. Incredible, Pip. Uh, thank you very much. And I uh, can tell you just on that big bet on Nadal to win the fourth set, uh, Nadal, uh, oh, sorry, on Djokovic to win the fourth set, Nadal broke back. It's 5 all. It's 5 all. That punter will be very, very nervous. And we'll be back uh, very shortly, folks, with netball after the break. Storm Purvis and the ANZ Championship. Number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, the ANZ Premiership has been dealt uh, some plenty of challenges this year around the the logistics of the whole deal, but through all the COVID-delayed games and the resulting condensed schedule, the regular season will soon make way for the final series due to start Next Wednesday, but before that happens, the Northern Stars will play tonight and tomorrow. The Mystics and the Poles clash on Friday to decide who goes straight through to the grand final. Joining us now uh, is a netball centurion and the host of SENZ Centre Pass and Focus, former uh, netballer, of course, uh, and still current netballer, I think we could probably say, Silverfern. Uh, Storm Purvis is with us now. Storm, good morning to you. Good morning. Definitely not a current netballer anymore. You can drop that one, don't worry. <laughs> oh, the phone call, the phone call, the phone call. I've got a couple, they've got a, a double header in the next couple of days, so make sure you turn your phone off. Uh, and that, that's interesting <laughs> that the, the we've, got, we've got to this stage of the season where uh, quite, a, quite a lot of those matches still matter, particularly at the top. Well, how exciting that that is the case, because a few weeks ago we thought um, the Mystics were kind of running home with the home final locked in. Of course, an injury to Grace Nwicky has really shaken up the table a bit. Mystics have lost three on the trot now, and the Pulse are sitting in the top spot. So, I mean, you said it before, Smithy, that Friday night game between the Pulse and the Mystics is really, it's all going to come down to that. Of course, we can't forget about the Stars. If they win their next two games over the next couple of days. They also go equal points. So depending on goal differential and how much they can win by and blah, 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 um, I'm, not, I'm not down on the mathematics of it all, sorry. But, some, you know, any of those three teams could host the grand final. We still don't know, um, just three games out. So it's, it's pretty exciting that it's come down this way. Okay, let's look, get right down to the nitty-gritty with a text from Pete, who's come straight in, and even before you came to air, has said, lined you up and said, please ask Storm if the Mystics are a one-woman team, beaten by the Stars by 20 goals, including the Stars missing 20 goals. What is, has Pete got a point there? Um, yes and no. I think most of the teams across the country, um, when it comes to netball, if you take one of their key players away, they're going to really, really struggle. Um, with that Stars match, where they did lose by 20, they also had two players test positive for COVID the next morning. So those two girls were playing with COVID, really, that game. Um, and they were in the midcourt, so the engines of the team really looked out of sorts. Um, 
you know, I think that made a huge difference to their on-court performance, regardless of Grace Mickey being there or not. But in saying that, <laughs> you know, the two games before, they lost to the bottom of the table. Magic, um, yeah, they, they're not a one-player one team, but, but it's close. You know, if they had more time, more opportunities to play with this shooting circle uh, minus Grace Mickey, I think, you know, they'd probably still surprise a few people. But at this late stage of the season, where they have spent the last sort of 10 rounds using Grace Mickey to, you know, her strengths and, and really pulling it off really well, it was always going to be really tough for them. I think Friday night up against the Pulse will be a really interesting test and I'm quite looking forward to seeing how the Mystics come out and play that. Hopefully they've got a couple of their mid-quarters back. Four of them have since tested mm. positive for COVID. So I understand that they are coming back, but what sort of state they'll be in, um, it, it will be interesting. I, yeah, that, look, it's Grace Mickey, you know, we talk about her constantly in netball circles. So it's not just, you know, one player. It's like the player of New Zealand netball at the moment. So it's a big deal. Um, and I, I feel for them because they have struggled and they'd be the first to admit that, shoot, we didn't quite get our plan B right and I'm hoping that come Friday night uh, we'll see a different Mystic side out there. Okay, before we get to the Pulse, let's just uh, finish off on a couple of issues about the Mystics. Uh, have we got an, uh, any sort of update on Grace's injury? Uh, when can we expect you to come back? Point one. Point two, Helene Wilson announced a couple of weeks ago that she'd be stepping down as the head coach, to go to the high-performance New Zealand sport. Um, so uh, is there a likely candidate straight away in your thinking for the replacement? Well, I'll answer your first question with Grace Wickey. I think, uh, I think last week they came out and said they're aiming to have her back to the elimination final, which is next Wednesday, the 8th of June. Uh, I will admit that Grace did not fill me with confidence when she was doing this media stand-up. She said that she was still pretty nervous. She was worried about doing extra damage to it. Um, and I'm sure she would have been briefed before that stand-up to not say things like that. So it's clearly still in the forefront of her mind. Mm. This is a young player who's never had an injury before. So um, if I was a defender coming up against Grace Mickey, knowing that she was nervous about her ankle, I'd be trying to get into her head a bit. So whether she's back or not, I don't think makes too much of a difference. It'll be about the mindset that she's in and whether she'll be, you know, reaching up for those high balls that she's so good at doing, going for rebounds and whatnot, knowing that she's playing on a pretty ginger ankle. And saying that it is just an mm. ankle sprain, I mean, we do them all the time in netball. You strap them up, they're usually good to go. It's just the fact that it's her first one, um, that it'll be a real stinger, and I think mentally it'll play a bigger part than physically. Now, the coach, and the l in my head... yeah. Yeah, sorry, what was that? No, no, go far ahead, yep. Yep, so point two, coach. Yeah, Helene Wilson stepping down, bit of a shock really because, you know, she lives and breathes this mystic side and the northern netball region, but uh, good on her for taking this opportunity with high-performance sport, um, leading sort of women's coaches and being that mentor for the women's space of sport in the country. I think she's the perfect person for that role. She's strong, she's direct, um, she's had heaps of experience. So good on her. I'm hoping Timapara Bailey jumps on a plane back from the Gold Coast um, to take up that role. I haven't heard any whispers. I don't have my ear to the ground on that one. But she's currently coaching the um, netball team over there that aligns with the Gold Coast Titans. And it's in their inaugural season. I think she's really enjoying it. So whether she wants to stay over there, um, you know, her son is playing uh, for the Titans. So, you know, that's probably a draw card for her being over in the Gold Coast as well. But I know she's always wanted to be the head coach of an ANZ team. So I'm hoping she would have been one of the first people on that call list to see where her head's at and whether she wants the role. Um, 
you know, Rob Wright, who's the assistant at the moment, was an obvious candidate as well, someone who would surely you'd think would want to step up, but he's quite happy being the assistant and enjoys being the assistant coach, and I believe he's already signed on to be assistant for next season. So who knows, Smithy? I'm, I'm really not sure, and I haven't heard a single thing, so I've got no goss to tell you, sorry. Okay. Let's uh, look at uh, what's left in terms of uh, this championship. We're, we know what the games are. We'll just, for the folks at home, uh, I'll just reiterate the, pol- the points table. The Pulse and the Mystic Shear top billing at the moment with 31 apiece. The Stars have a game in hand with 28. And then the Steel, the Tactics and the Magic uh, bring up uh, the bottom three places in the table. Um, and just to uh, reiterate, the Stars, the Magic tonight, uh, the Stars, the Steel tomorrow night, the Mystics, the Pulse uh, the night after, and then uh, the big one, Magic and Steel, uh, of course, which becomes a very important one too. Uh, sorry, that one really doesn't matter too much actually as I look at it. No, but the other ones are, are very, very important. Now, I, lo- I watched the Pulse game the other night against the Tactics. Um, what impressed me about that was the fourth quarter performance when they, they, they looked like they had the game under control, they lost the lead, and then they showed a sign to suggest they're serious here. Yeah, look, I think they would have been... I was quite shocked to see that the tactics were competing with them as well as they were um, in that sort of third quarter, early in that third quarter, and I think that probably put the shit up them a little bit. And, um, you know, they've got some great leaders on court this year. Kelly Jury, who's stepping up in that co-captaincy role, is just having an absolute ripper of a season. And she came through with some um, crucial ball, getting some crucial intercepts in the moments that mattered and really turned it around for them. I think the scary thing about the Pulse Smithy is that we haven't seen them play a full 60 performance yet to what they're capable of. And if they can make that all click at this business end of the season, then you're right, they are, they are definitely the ones to watch out for. Um, yeah, just I, I was pretty surprised with their performance in the first half of that Tactics Pulse game. So great to see them be able to pull out and, and get away from them. But, you know, that's not going to happen up against the Stars or the Mystics if they've got all their players available. So still some work to do for the Pulse. But if they're all humming at the same time for 60 minutes, then uh, they're pretty scary. How about the shooting end for them? Yeah, I mean, I love the shooting end. I mean, Aaliyah Dunn, she's the most accurate shooter in the competition, shooting above 90% pretty much every game. Tiana Matuado, um, young goal attack, who's actually had heaps of experience in this pole side, went away to the steel last year and has come back a, a new and, and improved player. She's sharing that co-captaincy with Kelly Jury and, and relishing that role as well. If anything, I think they are... On the younger side, they can get rattled, and th- th- it'll be that area of court where I think it'll come down to come finals time. If um, you know that a few errors start creeping into their game, then they, they don't quite have the nous or the experience to pull themselves out of it quickly. So, as I said, if that starts happening in a game against the Stars or the Mystics, they're in trouble. You know, up against Anna Harrison, Phoenix Kartika, these amazing defenders, it, it's going to be a really mm. big challenge for them. They're fun to watch. They really are, Tiana and, and Aaliyah Dunn. Um, but, yeah, it's just about the consistency, I think. Okay, so how do you see this playing out from uh, uh, the weekend onwards there? I mean, this game between the Mystics and the Pulse, uh, with the Mystics uh, up against it with COVID, the Pulse um, are certainly the, the form side in that, in that regard. So how, how do you see it playing out? And then the, can you see the Stars um, blotting the copybook here, uh, upsetting the apple cart? From third. So, yeah, look, I, I think the Pulse are going to win this game on Friday. I think the Mystics just have too many bad cards to deal with at the moment. And um, it'll be an easy win for the Pulse, is what I'm, my head is saying at the moment. The Stars can come in and shake things up. They do have two games. 
so they can go level with whoever wins that Pulse Mystics game on points if they get two wins. You know, they're playing the Steel and the Magic, two games that they can probably win easily, two teams that are not in finals contention at all. The difference is, is the old point differential is really coming into play here because the Pulse sit about 30 or 40 goals ahead, I think, when it comes to the points just So the Stars need to win by a lot <laughs> um, to really get themselves in contention. So I guess tonight we'll get our first little taste of whether that's going to happen or not. They are playing the Magic at home. They're going to need to win that game by like 15 or more to really um, ignite that kind of fire and get close to, to taking out that top spot. But my prediction is it'll be, um, it'll be a Pulse home grand final and the Mystics and the Stars will play the elimination final next Wednesday at home for the Stars. I think they'll creep just ahead of the Mystics on the table to finish in second. That's what I'm thinking. Right. Cool. Okay, let's look forward to uh, post-ANZ Championship, um, which brings us to a, a couple of issues, I guess. Um, what about a netball league between New Zealand and Australia? Do we think it's time to uh, resume uh, competition at this level with them? Yeah, I, I would love it to come back, Smithy. I played, um, gosh, maybe six years in that competition before we um, disconnected. And, you know, I, I loved that competition, the chance to get to go and travel um, across the ditch and, and, you know, measure yourself up against a different style of play, some of the best, you know, shooters and defenders in the world, um, and just shake things up a bit. Look, I, the argument, I guess, is whether us splitting and having our own competition has made New Zealand netball weaker or stronger. The jury's really still out on that. Obviously, we won the 2019 World Cup and shut up a whole lot of the naysayers who thought that perhaps the competition split was a bad move. Um, but we've seen that that's not entirely true and it, it's given New Zealand netball a chance and players in this country a chance to go back to what works really well for them and the style of play that you know makes New Zealand um, netballers who they are. We're talking flair and playing the zone defence and all that. They've had the chance to play that week in and week out in our competition and not have to worry about adjusting to play and suit the Aussie teams. So from that point of view, if you're looking at a performance point of view, I'm not sure that it's really needed. Um, as a spectator, now sort of working in the media mm. and following both sports, I would love nothing more than to see a trans-Tasman competition back on our scenes because um, the Aussies do it so well. You know, the Suncorp Super Netball is a great spectacle over there and it would be really awesome to see either more Kiwis over there or, yeah, just invite a couple of Kiwi teams to take part. I think um, it would be really good for the, the sport on a global scale. Yeah, I... I, I... Really agree with you there, and I tell you one of the reasons I agree with you there, Storm, is because uh, netball fans have been deprived. Uh, you know, okay, it's not it's not netball's fault; it was the world situation. But um, that's that touch what is no longer with us, and and there's some catching up to do. And I, I think that would be great. And even if you cut it down to uh, say a best of five series between the two title holders, or a best of three, or the top four teams, it wouldn't have to be a big competition to spark the interest from the outset. Absolutely, and I think there were talks of that in the past. Like we used to run the Super Club competition, which was a pre-season event where a couple of teams from Aussie would come over and play in a week-long tournament in Nelson, I think. And that was always great, but I, I think there's room to expand that and do a post-season competition. Yeah, top three teams play off over a, a few weeks. Um, and I think, obviously, with this year being a Commonwealth Games year, that's not going to happen. Um, and so that was probably never really talked about. But over the next couple of years, while we're not in 
pinnacle years of terms in terms of sorry netball on the global stage, then absolutely there's mm. there's got to be room to be able to do that. So I'm hoping something like that is on the cards. Um, in other news, it is great to see Fast Five make its return. That's happening in Christchurch in November, and that is a lot of fun, a really cool watch, and mm. something that will hopefully give um, netball fans here in New Zealand something to get excited about again, see some true international netball in such a fun format um, at, in our backyard. So get excited about that. Oh, I'm getting excited about the Commonwealth Games as well. I've got to say, and they're getting ever so close. And, of course, uh, the Silver Ferns have yet to uh, finalise their squad. But it was interesting to see and read where uh, Dame Nolene Taurua has fired a warning shot recently that she had hoped top players would be standing out just a little bit more. Do you think that motivates the players to start firing towards the end of the Premier season? As a, a former player, what message would you get from that? Well, I, yeah, she did come out and say that a couple of weeks ago, and I have to say, the likes of uh, Gina Crampton, Maya Wilson for the Stars, they have both stepped up incredibly over the last couple of weeks. So clearly she put some sort of rocket up them, and I know they are in constant communication, so um, whether Knowles was just going easy given the situation with COVID and, and the struggles the teams have had to endure in the early stages of the season. Uh, I'm thinking a couple of weeks ago she just had enough and thought, nah, we're too close to the Com Games now, you guys aren't performing um, if you don't start performing, it's going to make it really hard for me to select you. And I think that's really put the shits up a few of the girls because uh, we've seen some great performances from Amelia Anikinasio. You know, she's back playing full games for the Magic, shooting mm. really well. But it, it's been sort of, you know, Gina Crampton and Maya Wilson, who could be our starting goal shoot and wing attack come Commonwealth Games. They've really taken their game to another level over the past couple of weeks. So good on you, Knowles. You've done your job. <laughs> has indeed and will continue to do a great job for us so but she can't wait to get her hands back on her finalised squad for Birmingham Storm Purvis as always fantastic uh, enlightening us on what's happening with the ANZ Championship and let's hope uh, from the Mystics point of view that those girls get healthy real quick because we want to see the best possible players at the right time hey, thanks for your time this morning awesome thanks Millie Cheers, Storm Purvis there with us, uh, fantastic. Uh, she is uh, with her commentary, her observations on netball as well, it's just uh, fantastic, so uh, we're really happy when she's able to join us. Update on the tennis, Nadal made an incredible comeback in the fourth set. Um, uh, Djokovic was leading, uh, I think, 4-2, uh, 5-3, um, Nadal come back and beat him in the tiebreaker. Unbelievable scenes there at uh, Centre Court, Roland Garros, tears of joy, emotion etc he certainly is a fan favorite now uh, Rafa Nadal and who would now say or bet against them going on to win yet another French Open that is a massive hurdle to overcome Novak Djokovic any day of the week on any surface and he has come back and done that brilliant performance it is 11:21 here on SENZ new look uh, New Zealand side without eight players struggled with the pace and the quality of the attack of the Olympic silver medalist the Black Sticks fielded six debutants, while the Kookaburras fielded a largely unchanged side from their Olympic campaign with two of their players having more caps than the entire Black Caps team. Ironically, defender David Bryan, Bryden opened the scoring for the game early in the second quarter, finding himself open in the inner circle and coolly sliding home to put the Kiwis 1-0 up, and then it was just a deluge. Eight goals they conceded in the latter part of the match. So 8-1, game two, of the four-match series is on Thursday night. And a good result for Tom Walsh in Europe. Finished second at the Continental Tour event in the Czech Republic. 
through his best distance of 21.68 metres, just over half a metre, though, behind American Joe Kovac. So uh, over there doing a great job again is Tom Walsh. Uh, we've got some uh, text to read out as well. Uh, Murray says, I already have a knot in my stomach ready to hide behind the sofa. Very clever, Murray. Uh, he spelt not in K-N-O-T-T. And that, of course, uh, is uh, in reference to Alan Knott, one of the very best wicketkeepers of all time. Alan Knott, uh, English keeper, uh, widely regarded as one of the best glove men ever to put him on. Uh, Murray, I'm a little bit nervous about the whole deal myself. Um, hi, Smithy, thinking more about the black balance of the Black Caps team moving forward. Do you think number five needs to be able to bowl? Well, Darrell Mitchell can. Um, uh, yeah, he can bowl a few wobbly little seamers, but it's, it's not a strong suit, is it? And it's, it's sort of a last resort kind of situation for me. I, I just really want to see at least five specialist batsmen concentrating on batting and then Blundell at six. And I need to see Tom Blundell with form uh, as well. Uh, he's got Cam Fletcher over there uh, just riding the pine at the moment, just waiting for an opportunity. He's a fine young player, so at least he's got some pressure there. But Tom Blundell is a very key player in the series, occupying the number six spot. Uh, is Nichols' inability to bowl a problem for them? No, I don't think it is. Uh, Henry Nichols, when he's back fit, uh, he'll slot straight back in, I think, regardless of what happens. Uh, so the, why, why would you not play Bolt? This is the second person that's come and said, why would you not play Bolt? Um, surely he has the skill and experience to go straight into red ball cricket from white ball. We are so much stronger with Bolt and Saudi with the new ball. We don't play enough tests in England to weaken our side by choice. Tests at Lords are few and far between. Yep, and I think Trent Bolt would be ruining the, the fact that he's not going to be playing in that test. We heard from Craig McMillan where he basically pointed out the fact that he couldn't see him making the starting lineup. He's only just arrived in England in the last 24 hours, so no real chance of, of being able to make that side, barring injury or COVID, I guess, and I hate to say that to a couple of players. Absolute necessity for him to play. I don't think they view it as a necessity with the bowling cover that they've got. So uh, that's a bit of a shame, but it's a choice he made uh, to play for the Rajasthan Laws. We all know that. Chris, uh, and the fact of the matter is, uh, even I, 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 I recognise Trent Bolt's brilliance and his, bo- his bowling partnership with Saudi Popes as a as a bowling combination rivals Anderson and Broad. It really does, uh, in uh, in the last four to five years in particular. So, I, I look at that uh, combination. I think, yep, that'll be cool, but we'll have to wait. We'll have to wait to Trent Bridge second Test match before we see Trent Bolt unleashed on the English batsman. And just finally, Jamie's come in and said, I think, and this is talking about the rugby playoff system, this system is okay, but it should be the two lowest-ranked losers that get knocked out. Then it would not matter if the Blues lost. In other words, they should have a life, and I'm a bit of a a fan of that too, Jamie. You play all season, play your your socks off, have one bad week, and you're gone, whereas uh, qualifying top has got to have some incentive, apart from just me, for me, home advantage. 11.32 11.32 here on SENZ. Stump Smithy very shortly, 0800 150 811. You know the number, you know the rules, and you know how hard it is to beat Smithy. There is uh, Ottawa with the news. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, it's time to... 
hat up and grab your bat because it's stumped on SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Uh, Smithy up for grabs today, of course, is the usual $50 TAB bonus bet plus some sleep drops, daytime revive. They uh, try New Zealand sleep drops for all ages, lifestyle stages, and sleeping challenges. Always read that label and take as directed. Check out sleepdrops.co.nz. First at the crease for us, Brad from Dunedin. Come in, mate. Fellas, how are we? Yeah, good morning, Brad. Uh, good of you to uh, call in, mate. I'm looking forward to this competition. Uh, I'm also looking forward to the Highlanders perhaps going to Eden Park at the weekend and giving the Blues a little bit of a fright. Any chance? Uh, personally, I think there's no chance, but if I uh, win the sweet pump, I'll check the bonus bit on them head to head. Good on you. Okay, well, then we'd better give you an opportunity to do that. Um, Logan, what are the categories that we're throwing up at Brad this morning? You know, Brad, I like where your head's at, mate. Today's topics are cricket, soccer, football, and the rugby league. Take your pick. Uh, we'll go, we'll go the footy, eh? All right. Just to clarify, which footy? Because, uh, you know, some of us call football footy, some of us call footy rugby league. Ah, uh, yeah, I mean soccer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, first question for you, Brad. Which stadium played host to the Champions League final recently between Liverpool and Real Madrid? Oh, um, PSG's home ground. Park, Park the Princess, something like that. One of the worst things I have Ooh. ever seen done on a cricket field. Looking for the official name here. Smithy, over to you. Stade de France. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot. And away it goes. Yeah, sorry Brad, you're gone. No no bonus bet on the Highlanders. But hey mate, you never know, you never know. Uh, Next in line, Mark from Taranaki. Come in. How are you, Logan? I'm good. Smithy is here too, of course. He's ready. The topic is soccer football. How are you on your knowledge there? Um, relatively average, but we'll give it a crack. Okay, here we go. Second question. In what year did Leicester City complete their incredible run to to become Premier League champions? God almighty. Uh, wasn't that long ago. Um, right. but I think in 2014 or 15, I'll say 2015. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy. Yeah, pretty good guess that actually. Uh, quite some time ago, although Jamie Vardy was the absolute star in that uh, particular performance, all the goal scoring, uh, I've got a sneaking suspicion that it was very close uh, to Mark's answer. So I'm going to go 2017. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Oh, so close. Both of you. Uh, 2016, and they can oh. thank Tottenham Hotspur for uh, drawing two all with Chelsea for to make that happen. Uh, last question. You're still alive there, Mark. $50 TAB bonus bet and the sleep drops on the line. Only six clubs have competed in every Premier League season since it came to be in 1992. Those clubs include Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester United, and Tottenham. Who is the sixth club? Uh, since uh, mm. 92, did it start, did you say? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Um, um, can you just give me the teams that you said again, please? Yeah, of course. Arsenal, yeah. Chelsea, Liverpool, Man U, and Tottenham Hotspur. Mm. Oh, I know, it's a real well, stumper. I don't, know. I, I, I don't think it's Man City. Um, so I'm going to go for someone else. Um, Take a stab. Um, God, um, Southampton. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, is there a stumping on the line here? I think there might be, but only on this basis, only for this reason. Um, earlier in the season, um, or not that long ago actually, two or three weeks ago, we were talking about a side being eliminated for, from the competition for the first time in 58 years. And I think that side was Everton, so I can only say Everton. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Smithy! <laughs> Is that the f- I think it's the first stumping of the week. Wow, huge. We're going to go up to $100 uh, tomorrow. Hard luck there, Mark. Uh, but thanks for playing. No worries, boys. Thank you very much. Yeah, cheers, Mark. Thank you. Uh, we should get uh, knacky football and knacky rugby in there, and those Taranaki people will be uh, right in the hunt for that. Uh, yeah, Ever- Everton, of course. Um, and uh, that, of course, was the favourite playing side of Wayne Rooney. Uh, they managed to survive. They were in threat of uh, demotion to the championship. Uh, but yes, they survived. So that'll be 59 years in a row that they are in the top level of British football. It is 11.40 here on SCNZ. We'll have another stumped tomorrow morning at the same time, just after the 11.30 news. Uh, coming up shortly, what's been hot and what's been cold in the month of May? Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's time for Running Hot or Cold. Proudly brought to you by Regency Plumbing for all your bathroom renovations in Auckland. Yeah, we do this once a month, uh, generally at the start of the month, to look at, back at the last month, and we, we try to work out what's been the coldest aspect or coldest person in sport, as opposed to the hottest person in sport, as far as we're concerned. Try to focus, really, on New Zealand activities in this regard. Uh, this time round, we're going to go cold first, put the old cold tap on, and then warm it up a little bit later. But uh, for me, Logan, um, it's the Warriors, uh, to be perfectly honest. And I, I know it's it's an easy one to pick, but it just has been. I I can't think of uh, a time when the Warriors have uh, really uh, had a tougher, a tougher time or been under scrutiny more, particularly in terms of their administration. But then, you know, you, know, uh, you look to fix that on the field. That's the best place you can fix it on the field is to put Ws in the column and people will go a lot easier on you. They don't look so deeply into issues. Uh, and for that reason, they need to look to their playmaker. Uh, and I just think Sean Johnson's been cold, ice cold in the last month. Um, and I, I don't know that there's too many people out there would, would uh, disagree with me. As a playmaker, as a motivator on the field, as a leader on the field, as a direction finder, to get them going under adversity and point them back in the right direction, you need someone absolutely brilliant. And for me, in that role, Sean Johnson has been ice cold. 
Yeah, I mean, Smithy, I have to completely agree with you there. There was, I think, the previous game, he sort of started off really badly, uh, dropped, you know, off a kickoff, and then he's turned things around. But then we saw last week, and we heard Vossi talk about this on Monday, just kicks out on the full, just dumb mistakes, and it's just happening again and again and again. And obviously it's proving to be a point of frustration for a lot of Warriors fans out there. We're hearing it here on the station, here on ECNZ, when people text and call through. You know, there's a lot of criticism about him not attacking the line. All he does is just stand back and kick. And, I mean, I think there's a lot of fair uh, points coming out of there. And then also, you know, there's a lot of juggling in the halves. Who's his partner going to be this week? Who's it going to be next week? So there's not a lot of consistency there, and that's down to injury and a lot of other things. But there is just... It's just not happening there with Sean. I mean, he is there at the tail end of his his career, let's be honest, but he's just, it's definitely not the man that we once saw. No, absolutely not. And uh, if you look at a comparison, a direct comparison in the number six jersey, the playmaking jersey at the moment, um, you don't go past Cameron Munster and look how uh, the involvement, uh, the work rate that he's got around the field, the amount of tackles he makes, the injection that he has into the game, the way he exerts his teammates on, Okay, they're not as good as the Panthers at the moment, but they certainly were pretty good against the Warriors, weren't they? What was that, a 70-point flogging? Uh, Cameron Munster v. Uh, Sean Johnson. Um, no, I'm afraid uh, you just uh, can't compare them. So, Sean Johnson, for me, um, is the coldest thing in May. Uh, hottest thing in May is pretty simple for me. Stephen Alker. I mean, how can you go past Stephen Alker? Um, at the moment, pound for pound, the most formed golfer in the world across all golfing tours and there are plenty of them male and female he is the hottest golfer 50 years of age has found not just a new lease on life a new lease on everything uh, and, and he is just uh, in awe he's held in awe now of uh, people like Els, uh, people like Jimenez um, you know these other guys who have been around the scene for a long long time Darren Clark uh, Fred Couples uh, Colin Montgomery, these are the players he's uh, going up against. Sure, they've uh, got slightly older legs now. Their game isn't as good as it used to be. But they're still very competitive and still very good. Bernard Langer, I'll throw him on. He, he shot him to pieces last weekend. And Stephen Ames, when it got tough down uh, the stretch, Stephen Elka was unbelievable. So he had a really hot May. Um, he'll probably have a very hot June as well. We might be talking about him in 30 days' time as well. But without doubt, for me, hottest player, hottest athlete in New Zealand over the course of May, Stephen Alka. Can't be anyone else, can there? No, and his, I think his uh, bank balance would say a lot to that as well, Smithy. Mm, absolutely. Uh, millions. Making millions upon millions of dollars at the moment. Uh, if you haven't heard, uh, Rafa Nadal just knocked over Novak Djokovic in fourth enthralling sets. Enthralling sets they were. Uh, vintage. Great, great tennis from two great players who never seemed to fail to deliver on the big stage and had the crowd in absolute rapture. So uh, that uh, puts up a, a really interesting prospect of Nadal coming through maybe to win his 14th French Open. 14th French Open, I repeat. 11.51 here on SENZ. Staffy next. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.